Thanks, Harriet. Let's pray as we look at that together. Do keep it open. We're going to look at those amazing words in that short reading together. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, your son. Thank you for his revelation of you and his life, in his words, and in his death and resurrection. And we pray that we may see him and hear him and learn what it is to follow him as we listen tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you browse the list of the top ten influences in our culture in Britain at the moment or worldwide, you'll find some of these people uh, appearing in those lists. So just shout them out for me. Who is that on the far left? The Duchess of Sussex, please. Bit of respect. (laughs) Meghan Markle, that's right. Top right, anyone know who that is? Very wealthy chap, Jeff Bezos, that's right. Who is the... Whatever it is. He runs Amazon, doesn't he? He runs Amazon, so moderately wealthy. Um, Bottom right. Thank you. I had no idea who Zoella was. I googled this. Um, But apparently in the world of young adults, she is... She apparently is a, well, a very, very famous, successful um, fashion designer, icon, YouTuber, social media, you name it, really. Uh, So, Zoella, there we go. It's short for Zoe Elizabeth Sugg, isn't it? That's right. So, Zoella. These people are the people that that we think, aren't we? That Those are the influences, the people that change how we all think and live. But who really does change the world? That's the question with Jesus' words. Who really changes the world? Is it people like this, the famous celebrities? Or is it perhaps people that you and I have maybe never heard of? The context of this reading tonight, if you're just back in Matthew 5 now, 13 to 16, the Sermon on the Mount is... Jesus teaching us what it looks like to be a follower of his. This is a gospel all about who Jesus is and what's it look like to follow. The technical word is to be a disciple, to follow Jesus. And we saw last week in the first 12 verses of this chapter, Jesus gave eight descriptions. This is what it looks like to be a Christian, as we put it. Uh, Eight blessing phrases. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn over sin and evil, the meek, the merciful, the peacemakers, those who hunger and thirst for right and justice to prevail in their lives and in the world. And then he finished in verse 11 with the most surprising promise, blessing of all. Blessed are you, he said, my followers, when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. So he's saying, to be a follower of mine is at points going to look quite painful. It'll mean a hostile response from the culture, some of the people around us. Last week's verses, in other words, were very much showing how the world around is going to respond to us. And it won't always be friendly. Then this week, he switches, doesn't he, to how we, as Jesus follows, if, if you're a Christian tonight, how we relate to the world around us. So it's the other way around, isn't it? Not how they're going to treat us, but how we relate to the world around us. And uses images of of salt and light. And if you're going to come with me this evening, we're going to look at these two pictures, salt and light, because each of them, he he uses both of them very similarly. And within each one, there are are kind of pairings going on. Um, Contrast, perhaps, 
in each of them, the salt and the light, that tell us about the very high calling we have the minute we step out that door into the world, but also the very great challenge because of the unparalleled influence that you and I, ordinary you and I, have. So two communities we'll look at, then two characteristics of Jesus' followers, and then two consequences for our thinking. Two communities, two two characteristics, descriptions of Christian life and action, and then two consequences, if you like a choice, at the end. So two communities, first of all. Um, You, as he calls us, and the world. First of all, you. He opens both those paragraphs. You see verse 13 and the second one, verse 14, with the word you. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And almost eventually, it's almost like those old World War posters, you know, you. Not quite saying your kingdom needs you, but he's saying you are the community. You are my followers. You are the salt. You are the light. So that's the first community. It's whoever it is he means by you. Now, who does he mean? Well, look at verse 1, and I think there's a very simple answer. Verse 1, we're told that Jesus goes on the mountainside and his disciples came to him. So they're the ones he's talking to here. He was last week. Blessed are you when you, when you were persecuted. And he's still talking to his followers. And I take it that means not just what we call the 12 disciples, but almost certainly it's all who hear his message of the kingdom and respond by following him. Christians. So many of us here tonight, you and I are the salt and the light. Now salt was a preservative used in the ancient world, still is in places, to stop, say, meat from rotting. It was also a putrif- uh, uh, to stop meat from putrefying. It was also used as a fertilizer on fields. So, you know, I, don't, I don't know, dear, if any farmers here, the Norfolk farmers still use salt. I suspect we've got kind of all very clever chemicals now that are even more effective. But a fertilizer, um, it was used in the ancient world, of course, as a flavoring. So, you know, you put it on your chips um, after your bar mitzvah or whatever you did. Um, and we know that about the ancient world, and that's how they use salt. But actually, I think the best place to ask, what did he mean by this? You know, is it that he's saying we're a preservative, we're a flavoring, is to look at the Bible. And the Old Testament um, does talk in one or two places about salt in a, in a symbolic way. So in Leviticus chapter 2, verse 13, salt is used with offerings of cereal, you know, Weetabix and so on, the offerings in the temple, used to preserve the sacrifice that was being offered to God to stop it going off so salt was used as a picture and it says a sign of the covenant it's almost like God is saying my promises to you are absolutely trustworthy unfailing that they won't decay that's my covenant with you I promise and salt is a picture of the lasting nature of my commitment to you my people so it's a great picture Uh, It's also a picture of wisdom in the Old Testament, salt. Um, Wisdom in the sense of just um, guidance for godly living. We talk about old salts as kind of old people that kind of learned a lot of stuff in life. It's that kind of wisdom. And Colossians, we'll look at it later, but Paul says, let your conversation always be seasoned or sprinkled with salt. Partly saying, uh, 
may your words keep dropping in wisdom, particularly about truth about God, truth about how to follow Christ. Uh, So that's salt. That's one of the the marks of the the Christian life. Secondly, light. Again, light's a very powerful picture in the Bible, especially in the prophet Isaiah. So in Isaiah 62, verse 1, the salvation of Jerusalem, the holy city, is described as like a shining torch radiant across the whole earth. So it's a picture of God's salvation for his people. And then in Isaiah 42, verse 1, it's a person, it's the servant of God, who you might know uh, is the person that the New Testament says is Jesus. The servant of God, Isaiah said, is going to come one day, and he will be a light So a source of God's truth, the truth about God, not just to his people, the Jewish people, but it says to the nations, light to the nations. That's the servant's job. So with all that, can you see what Jesus is saying to you and me tonight? If you are a Christian, if we're just with the ordinary run-of-the-mill, if you're like me, pretty unspectacular followers of Jesus, we're not famous, we're not celebrities, we're not fantastically qualified and intelligent and powerful. Jesus is saying, yeah, but I don't care. You ordinary followers of mine, you are the salt of the world. You are the light of the world. You are my chosen people with this great calling for the world. Amazing, isn't it? You may be unimportant, but in God's eyes, you're the fulfillment of his promises for the world. So that's one community. That's you, us. The salt, the light. Second, what is the other community? The second one, well, it's verse 13, the earth. Verse 14, the world. Same thing. means here, um, not the earth as in, you know, the greeny blue thing you see from space. The earth as in the people of the earth. The world as in men and women, human beings. Humanity, you might say. Now, for the last 200 years or so, in the West, we've seen a, a kind of optimistic um, climb trajectory to our view of life and of the future and the human race. Uh, we tell this story that we're getting better and better as a race, cleverer and cleverer, better and better, more and more just, and so on. Um, and we're making the world better as we do so. But actually, if you look at history, the last 100 years, reality has, I think, demolished that optimism, hasn't it? We've seen two world wars. We've seen injustice as great as ever. We've seen um, not righteousness and peace. We've seen war and bloodshed and disease and poverty and wickedness. That's the world, that's the earth that Jesus says you need to be the salt for. You need to help to prevent the decay of that culture around you because it's a rotten culture. No wonder Jesus says you are the salt of the earth. And The world needs us, you, me, at your workplace, at your school desk tomorrow, like rotting meat, needs salt to keep it fresh. Without God, without the gospel, people around us are decaying. Again, people talk about the last 200 years as a period of enlightenment. Heard that phrase, the enlightenment? All this discovery of of human rationality and of science and and so on. Uh, And again, human progress thinking that one day human beings will discover everything there is to know about anything. In practice, though, the human heart is as dark as ever. 
we're as selfish, as inward-looking, as prejudiced, as judgmental, as unjust as we've ever been. But Jesus says in John chapter 8, I, Jesus, I am the light of the world. He has come to dispel the darkness, to bring truth about God, and actually to bring truth about how to live in God's light and not in moral darkness either. And Jesus takes that same phrase, light of the world, here, and amazingly, he says, not just I am, but you are also the light of the world. You'll be God's servant, fulfilling that promise from Isaiah of light to the nations, bringing truth about me and bringing truth about the kind of life God calls us to live. You'll be like the the lens of a lighthouse. So you're not, as it were, the the origin of the light. That's Jesus. That's God. But you're like the lens that kind of transforms it, refracts it, focuses it so that the world can see it. Salt and light. Two communities. A stark contrast, isn't it? You've got the salt that preserves culture from decay. You've got the light that brings hope and truth into the darkness. And then you've got the darkness and the decay of our world. Two communities. Secondly, two characteristics, two characteristic ways that Jesus' followers are going to act. And it's words and actions. Those are the two, words and actions. We'll look at actions first. Because some say Jesus here is talking only about Christian actions. He ends up, doesn't he, in verse 16 by saying, it's as others see your good deeds that they'll praise your Father in heaven. As we live out the life of verses 1 to 12, poor in spirit, merciful, peacemaking, and receiving sometimes hostility in return, we will be like Jesus' followers, punching holes in the darkness by every good Christian action that we undertake, every act of love, kindness, mercy, every moment of humility and meekness. And that's certainly the obvious meaning that living out the Christian life is going to bring light into the darkness, is going to be salt that's going to slow down at least the decay of our godless culture. And sometimes these actions may be very obvious public things, you know, like like kind of political institutional things. We think of William Wilberforce, um, who was a great evangelical Christian 200 years ago, who made a stand in Parliament against slavery across the empire. And he did it because his Bible told him that all people are created equal in the name of Christ. Uh, Today, we see people campaigning for the life of the unborn or for the the life of of those towards the end of life and threatened with euthanasia, as they call it. Uh, Anyone who names evil in our culture for what it is is acting as salt and light, aren't they? But most of us don't need to support you know, political justice campaigns in Parliament to have an influence of salt and light on our society right where we are, in our neighbourhood, in our school, in our community. So if you're the one on the corridor who welcomes everyone and takes interest in their welfare, you will stand out amongst your student colleagues. If you're the one at work known for not taking bribes, not joining in the dirty jokes, not getting drunk at the party, if you're known as the one in the family who, unlike others, is always forgiving, always serving others. Good deeds inhibit evil. 
and promote good. And the role of the individual as salt and light, all of us, is far more influential than I think we realize. What about the church, though? Just thinking kind of as an institution, an organization, does the church have a role in public acts of goodness and justice as well? Well, this is debatable, it's debated, um, because you know, we're all sent, Jesus is saying, you disciples, you're all sent this week, wherever you're going to go, to do good things, to do good deeds, to be salt and light. But what about as a church? What about the church? What's our role? Do we have a, a corporate way that we work together to do this? Well, if you want to think more about this, it, it's, it's worth some deep thought. A great book by Tim Keller is called Generous Justice. Um, picture on the screen if you want to um, just note that down and get a copy of that book, Generous Justice by Tim Keller. Uh, if you want to think through the Bible's teaching on social action, both uh, as individuals, as Christians, but also as the church. Uh, he argues, and I, th- I agree, the mission of the church in the Bible is primarily to make disciples by proclaiming the good news of Jesus, baptizing, sharing communion, discipling each other as followers of Christ. That's our mission. It's the Great Commission. So the church is often best equipping and sending us, inspiring us, as, releasing us as members to go and get involved in what's happening out there. Not to reinvent wheels, but to get involved and make a difference in our workplace or our community. If we see a, a cause of social justice, poverty, addiction, uh, let's just go out and get involved with it. Because God's a God of justice. But there are ways that we can be salt and light, I think as a church, as churches as well. Um, for instance, at the moment, for us, exciting possibility of getting much more involved just around the corner here on the General Linda State um, in the name of Holy Trinity as well as the name of Christ. So that's the kind of actions thing, isn't it? Individual, but also as a church, how do we do that? What about words, though? Is salt and light only about my deeds? Well, Colossians 4 verse 6 suggests... It's not just about my actions. So Paul says in Colossians 4, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer anyone. He's talking about words, isn't he? And using the same language as Jesus of salt. Our words are to be full of salt, not just our deeds. Seasoned so that we can answer everyone. It's similar with the image of light in the New Testament. Uh, It's always in the New Testament an image of gospel truth, the truth of Jesus, the truth about Jesus, shining into our hearts, as Paul says, to bring the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. It's the good news of Jesus. That's the light. So how can I be salt and light with my words? Well, it's it's the person when I'm having my hair cut, and they ask, you know, how are you this week? And, you know, talk about the football, and then probably Brexit comes up at the moment, doesn't it? Uh, and, and they kind of say, oh, you know, what a mess our politics is, what, what a mess government is. And I could just nod and say, you know, yeah, you're quite right, just carry on cutting my hair. Or I could just agree and, and, and say, well, yeah, but why do you think that is? Why do you think we get into such a mess? Not just maybe in Parliament, but in our personal lives, speaking for myself. Why is that? Could it be that, you know, we, we need to pray more about these things, or we need help beyond ourselves to put some of these things right. And see where God takes those conversations as we begin to, to bring in some of the big truths of the Christian faith. 
um, of how much we all need God, how much we've all fallen from his perfect standards and his wisdom, and how we need Christ and his help and guidance. That's making your conversation salty. It's not Bible bashing, but it's sprinkling salt in, isn't it, whenever you see opportunity and seeing how God uses it. And that emphasis on the need for words, for you and I to be brave with our words in conversation, as well as our actions, salt and light, that fits a very biblical model of our relationship as Christians with the world around us. It's, it's, it's called, if you're interested in the kind of background theology, the idea of two kingdoms, that as Christians we live in two kingdoms at once. We live in the, the physical political kingdom that we're part of in the UK and this country at the moment. We also live in the spiritual kingdom under Christ. And we're citizens of both at once. We're called to obey and follow Christ in both at once. Our primary task as a church is to help people to hear about Jesus and be one from simply the kingdom of the world into the kingdom of Christ. That's how the good news saves and rescues people. And it's then that the society gets influenced and changed as God saves and changes lives one at a time in Christ. So, for instance, many people think that the end of the 18th century, the only thing that saved England, if you're a historian, the only thing that saved England from a bloody revolution as they had in France in 1789, the guillotines for its leadership, the only thing was the preaching of the gospel in this country through people like Charles Wesley and George Whitfield that led to a revival of faith and brought the country together in love and hope. Words, you see, as well as actions, change the world. We need both to be salt and light as followers of Christ. So it is our prayer, isn't it, for our witness um, within our own church ministries, groups like Noah's Boat, uh, our student group, the Jenny Lynn work I've already mentioned, that we can share in our words the good news of Christ as well as in our actions. It's our mission this week, whoever you and I are, at school, at work, at college, in our neighborhood. So words and light, the, the, salt and light, words and actions, they bring people, don't they, from death to life, from decay to hope. So that's as we've seen, two characteristics of the disciple. We're going to be words and actions that point to Christ. Thirdly then, we've seen these two communities, us and the world. We've seen the two characteristics that that should mark Jesus' people. Now what about two consequences for us? Well, the consequences for us as to whether we listen to Jesus' instruction here or not are these. They're pretty major, aren't they? Either to have influence for the kingdom of God in the world or to be irrelevant. And this is where Jesus, I think, gets gets very practical and very blunt, doesn't he? He says, doesn't he, verse 13, salt can lose its flavor. If it loses its flavor, he he says, what use is it but to be thrown out and then trampled over? So if you and I claim to be Christians but are not salt in the world, he says, You're not salt, you're actually the scum of the earth instead. People will walk over you. That word for losing saltiness, verse 13, 
literally it's becoming foolish. You've exchanged the wisdom of the gospel of Christ at work in you for foolishness, irrelevance. And people will laugh at you. Isn't it interesting that the more distinctive, the more salty I am, the more my influence, the more people will be attracted to the gospel. I often think to myself, the more distinctive I am, the more weird people think I am, and they won't be drawn to Christ. But actually, Jesus is saying, the more salty you are, the more they'll taste Christ in you and be drawn to him. And then he says, verse 14, the light of the world, he says, it's like a city. Take a city on a hill. Imagine that city at night. It's, it's going to be even, even the metropolis of Norwich. You can see it from miles away at night on a clear night because the sky is lit up from a distance. It's like that, he says. A city on a hill, you cannot miss the fact it's there. You, you, you cannot escape the direction it's in because the light is radiating. You cannot hide the light of a city on a hill. And, he says, take a lamp. You don't light a lamp and then, you know, like, like us to put a bucket over the top of this candle. It would extinguish it, wouldn't it? It wouldn't just cover it. It would actually kill it. That's what he's saying. You don't light a lamp to snuff it out again. You light it to show the world, to light the room. So you cannot hide a city and you must not hide the lamp, the light of Christ in you. Don't be a secret Christian. Don't be someone that no one had a clue that you follow Christ, he says, because it may just raise the question, how real is the light that you claim is in you? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, a very courageous Christian thinker, pastor, executed under Adolf Hitler, he said this in a book about the church. He said, flight into the invisible, talk about this verse, flight into the invisible is a denial of the call. A community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. That was very real for him, living as a confessing public church under Nazism. But it's very real for us too in a culture that wants to suppress the light, that wants to chuck the salt out the door, to be courageous and public as Christians. Well, how do you do that? As I just begin to draw us to a close, well, I'm trying to be very practical at the end here and think, well, how am I salt and light? How can I make sure I'm being salty and bright and not becoming tasteless and dull and irrelevant? Well, three things that I want to suggest that will be helpful for us to think about here. Uh, thanks, Thomas. That's it. Thank you. The first one I've said, be connected. What I mean by that is, is the zest, if you like, that makes my life salty, that tastes of Christ to other people. Uh, that's Christ in me, isn't it? There's no way that someone's going to taste Christ if I'm not walking with Christ myself. So it really is as simple as, isn't it, as, as how close am I walking with Christ myself this week? How close do you want people to, to taste Christ through your life and words this week? If you and I are not spending time each day feeding on Christ, drawing on his life, being filled with his spirit as we read his word and as we pray, it's going to be very hard to be really salty at college, at work this week. I need to daily draw on the distinctive flavour of the truth of Christ. Ask his spirit to fill me if I'm not to be tasteless and dull. Secondly, so be connected to Christ. Secondly, be courageous towards others. I think Jesus is being very blunt here, isn't he? He's saying that you're the salt of the earth. If you lose your saltiness, you are useless. 
not just to me, but to the world as well. They need you to be salty. They need you to be a public lamp, not a hidden light. I need to stop it and make excuses, don't I? Saying, oh, you know, I'll, um, I'll, I'll be distinctive at work when I'm less stressed or I'm less busy. I haven't got time to think about being a Christian at the moment. I haven't got time to read my Bible. I haven't got time to think about the right decision, the right way to commend Christ in what I do. I'll just keep on compromising and make it up as I go along. And one day I'll have time to think about how I could possibly explain my faith to someone, but I'm too busy this year. I think I just need to be courageous and say, no, Lord, I'm going to start every day this week by praying, use me today. Make me public. Make me salty. Make me light to others. Be courageous. Uh, It will not always be straightforward. You and I will make mistakes with this, but at least we're being salt. At least we're being light. And then thirdly, lastly, be accountable to yourself. Maybe to someone else too, but be accountable to yourself. That's about examining myself very honestly. Because I think, isn't that what Jesus is doing here? As he says, you're the salt of the earth. If you lose your saltiness, you become irrelevant and useless. Doesn't that make me think, hmm, how do I measure up? How salty am I? And he says, you're the light of the world. Why do you light a lamp and hide it under a basket? It gets me thinking, doesn't it? Well, how have I done that? Have I been secretive about my faith in this last month or so? Am I uh, determined inside that that's not going to happen again? Examine yourself. Be accountable. Living the life that Jesus calls each of us as his followers to in this sermon is for our blessing. Remember that? He said this last week, didn't he? He didn't say, I'm going to make your life miserable because I'm going to call you to be meek and poor in spirit and humble and make peace and suffer. He said, actually, you're going to be blessed if you do that. You'll know the rich, divine satisfaction of the Christian life. But we've seen the Christian life following Jesus like this It's not just for our blessing, it's for the world as well, isn't it? The world will be blessed if you and I live as salt and light in it. That's what we're here for. And so, Jesus says, it's not even just for the blessing of the world, it's for the Father's glory. Verse 16, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Isn't that amazing? Not only do my good deeds glorify God in themselves, because the Bible says they do do that, but they lead to others glorifying him as well. That is influence, isn't it? Bringing others to know Christ and others to praise the Father because of our salt and light, our words and our actions. When people met Jesus in the Gospels, uh, and they heard his teaching and they saw his miracles, they often said, didn't they, we've never seen anything like this, this is amazing. And when the first church began to preach the gospel, people said of them, we've not heard this kind of truth before. We've not seen people love each other like this. Wouldn't it be amazing if in our generation, in this city, in our hospitals and schools and universities and streets, people began to say, those people from Holy Trinity, those Christians I know, there's something special going on there. I've not seen this before. We are to bring others, aren't we? To praise God in Christ not because we're like them, but actually because we're different from them. Because as children of God, we are reflecting the very light of God. And because as they meet us, our presence in some way tastes to them 
of the saltiness, the goodness. The decay-fighting, eternal life-giving saltiness of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your wise, powerful words of wisdom in this sermon. Thank you for the call to be salt and light. Thank you for equipping us as your people through your word and your spirit. Please teach us to draw upon you for our life and light. Give us courage to be salt and light in what we say and what we do this week and always. And may many praise the Father's glory because they saw something of you in us. In Jesus' name, amen.